Um, I'm going to share, I'm, over this, this time that I'm here in the States, we're here for seven weeks, there's something God had opened my eyes to, and I have kept inside, I've chewed on it, I have marinated in it, I have thought about it, and I haven't really shared it because it has meant so much to me and changed so much of me. I didn't know how to communicate it in a way that would bring the same value to someone else. And I felt God saying it's time to start bringing this out. You know, when you take, have you ever seen like a beautiful sunset and it just captures you and you grab your smartphone and said, I'm going to grab a picture of that. And then you take the picture and go, I don't look anything like what I'm seeing up there. Sometimes communicating, it takes time to get that out. And I remember I was walking through, as uh, we were pastoring in South Carolina, uh, 2010, 2009, and it was in a stage where I was praying, God, things are going on in my life that are just repeating, and I don't want another miracle. I don't want another bailout. I don't want another, you just show up, and then I got to do the whole cycle again, and then again, and again. I want you to father me through this. So I happened to be speaking at, this, at the county jail in York, South Carolina, and I was getting ready, and I was preparing, and I was walking up to go do the Bible study that we were doing in there, and these guys all knew the Bible pretty well. They had been in there a while, and you know, they, they just were my living concordances. I didn't even need Google to find the, find the answer. I just said, hey, where is that? And they would just tell you where, where it was at. And so I was getting ready to go into this place, and I'm, I remember parking my car and walking up was walking to the front door, and right when I hit the curb, I heard the voice talk about Samson. I'm like, oh my gosh. That has to be just bad pizza from the time before. I mean, like these guys need to know how not to make dumb mistakes with, with women. I mean, this is the whole mess that they're in, with, in here with. Like, I just thought of every negative thing that I ever looked. Go Google Samson just for a moment. Well, not right now. Actually, when the service is over. And you're going to find there's nothing good said about this guy. He was a bad character that did something kind of good at the end. And he end I mean, just, I, I have never met a character that is so ridiculed in the Bible. I mean, he's just known for Samson and Delilah. And look what mess he got himself into. And then he has to go and, I mean, just, there's nothing good. I don't know about you, maybe you have a different opinion, but this was also my opinion. That's why I never read about the story. And plus, how can you relate to Superman? Right? I mean, we don't have that kind of power. I mean, the guy goes and grabs the jawbone of a donkey and wipes out a whole infantry troop. I mean, that's not really relatable. Any soldiers in here? I don't think one of you has taken on like a... I mean, that's what we only need to drop one in the middle of the war, and then they could just wipe out half the army. I mean, it's just not... Hey, how do you relate to that? And so I kind of put it off, and I remember I got to the front door, and I was just shaking it off in my head. I said, I want you to talk about Samson. I said, I, don't even, I haven't even read this story in years. And God spoke to me and said, you misunderstood the story. And I remember walking down the aisle, and I, I can remember the cell, this is how just vivid it was, the cell blocks chanking in behind me, and I'm going through this, and I'm trying to recount the story and so when we got in to sit with the guys, God began speaking to me, and I just, we just read the story. And something triggered that there was something more. 
And it's taken me 10 years to meditate through that story to fully get the impact of what God was telling me at that moment. But something started happening with those inmates that all of a sudden the walls weren't the problem. They weren't withholding from them what they could actually have. And they began changing on the inside. And we started seeing miracles and healings and all this stuff taking place with these guys all off this story. I don't even know how it got there, but the Spirit of God was doing something. And so I want to kind of give you a little bit of highlights of that whole process. You know, St. Patrick says this. He says, in the gospel story, the passionate, the outsized, the out of control have a better chance of seizing heaven than the contained, the calculating, and those whom the world approves. Let's ponder that for a moment. I'll read that again. In the gospel story, the passionate, the outsized, the out of control have a better shot at seizing heaven than the contained, the calculating, and those of whom this world approves. So I'm going to give you a start off with a riddle. And I'll be honest, I have pondered this riddle for a long time. Out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. Okay, that's when Samson killed the lion and they found the honey. I didn't know it till after spending years meditating on that, and it was only till about a month ago. I was just chewing on that and say, I don't understand the riddle. Why would you spend so much time to put a riddle in an obvious story that's sitting right there? Because the riddle was Samson's life. And it was also the riddle that Jesus lived by. And it was the riddle of transformation from one person to another. And so we're going to see. So it begins in Judges. And let me give you just a little backdrop to what's going on. It's going to start in Joshua in Judges chapter... 15. Sorry, Judges chapter 13. And the children, verse 1, and again the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the evil it was referring to is they wanted to go worship the idols and be part of the cultural norms of their enemy. That was the evil. And again they did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. That word delivered means he gave them what they're asking for. Their request was to be under and the benefits of the temporal pleasure of the culture of that time so God delivered them into it. They weren't oppressed. They weren't conquered. They weren't forced into it. They were given over to it. And for 40 years, a generation of people grew up into the conformity of the ideas of the Philistines. Now, just so you understand, the Philistines were a powerful nation, and they controlled a region around Gaza now in Israel, and it's this little strip, and it was the coastal, and one of their main cities was Ashkelon. There was five cities, which is the five lords, and Goliath was one of those lords later on that we hear. But there's five cities, and Ashkelon was the chief port city and the best port of the time of the whole Mediterranean. So all the trade routes, all of the, the, the goods from Greece and Egypt and everything would flow through the port of Ashkelon. The, this city was like this, you know, it's kind of like 
when you're in Thailand, you just kind of want to get to the mall and get to a Starbucks after a while, just to have something that westernizes and brings some kind of custom. Well, this city had every Starbucks. They had the, the pottery. They had the, the pleasures of life. They had everything that you could have that would satisfy our temporal self-gratification in this, these cities. And the children of Israel wanted that. So God gave them over to it. Well, over time, in conforming, they surrendered themselves to the Philistines. And for 40 years, no one at the end of 40 years was crying out for help. They weren't unsatisfied with what they had, but they were still oppressed. And it's interesting how oppression comes in, that it doesn't come in always with violence. Most of the time, it's a surrender. It becomes a dependence on a system to take care of us. And what happens is the people went from being strong to becoming victims. They became eaters. They became consumers. They became the thing that whoever the seller was, would, they would be required to purchase. Or they provided for the seller. See, out of the eater came something to eat. A transformation had to start taking place. So I think what is amazing with God is he is so hearing what our real heart is that he has to do something that even though we a lot of times are crying out for relief from something, you know, you know the difference of, there's a difference between relief and deliverance. Like relief kind of just, okay, it's off for me for a while. But in the morning, you're still going to have to deal with it. But it's relief. Where deliverance transforms who you are into something different that no longer are you needing the relief. Many cry out for relief. But when a deliverer comes and transformation comes, that changes everything because that means I have to give up something. Yet, the giving it up is going to make something so much better. It's a transformation. And it's part of the reason people will pray and they go to God and they're looking to be medicated over the issue that they have, but God's trying to say, you're much better than that. I want to make you dominant over the situation that you have. I want to change you from becoming the victim of it into being the one that's the dominator over the thing that's against you. So he has to bring in a new birth though, something miraculous. So he couldn't hear the cries of deliverance, but he hears a cry of a woman wanting a child. Because culturally, she was out of the norm. You did not have children if you wanted to be accepted in society. Now, I think we had gone beyond that because we most likely she was much older at this point and couldn't have children. But this angel comes to her and said, you are barren and you're going to bear a child and he's going to begin delivering the children of Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. And of course, the father hears and is so confident in what she says that he prays so the man comes back to find out what is the work that is supposed to be done? How do I train this boy? And I love what the angel says when she, when she comes back, or when he comes back. So he answers the prayer, and he comes back, and he says, to the woman, here's what the woman is to do. Now again, What's interesting is this boy would become a Nazarite from birth. It was a special order. It was a separation of people. So to become a Nazarite, you couldn't eat anything from the vine. You, had to, um, you couldn't cut your hair. There's all these rituals that you had to do to be a Nazarite. 
and he would be a Nazarite at birth. But it was his mother that would have to do the stuff. There was no rules given to Samson. You see, when you're born into something, you don't have to have the rules. You be, it becomes part of you. It is what you are. And so, regarding the rules of, for his life, the angel says, you don't worry about what the woman is to do, or what Samson is. I want you to only just make sure the woman obeys. In other words, you don't have a capacity to raise a deliverer. You don't know what deliverance looks like. There was no manual for this. There was no special parenting class on how to raise a deliverer. We've been slaves. We've been under this. And we start wondering, going, but God, didn't they want this? Wouldn't they want a deliverer to come in? Well, let me just remind you of what the children of Israel thought of when Moses delivered them. In Exodus 14, 10, it says, When Pharaoh drew near, the children lifted up their eyes. This was right before the Red Sea. And behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us like this to bring us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt saying, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians rather than go die in the wilderness? The children of Israel did not want to leave Egypt. The Egyptians kicked them out. Then they go in and see the promise. They see this amazing land that they can have rule over. They can make their homes. They can, they can grow with their hands. They can make this place with no oppression. And here's what they say. Numbers 13.2 All the congregation, when they heard the spies talk, all the con so a million people minus two. A million people mutually lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness, why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt so they said to one another, let's select a leader and return to Egypt. Our old fallen nature, which you're not a split personality, but the remembrance of your old nature before you're born again, is inferior and weak. And this is where the enemy always had the dominance. It convinced you that you were always less. So whenever a hope or a promise would come, there was this place of, but I'm so insignificant to the thing that you're having me do, I would rather go back to the place at least I knew what to do. I knew how to function in slavery. I knew how to function in this. I hate my job, but I know how to do it every day. I don't celebrate it, but I know how to do it. Over here, I don't know what to do. And that brings a sense of insecurity and inferiority. And so you would stay in things that aren't always the best for us because it just, at least I know what to do. There's a sense of weird authority in that place. 
But this idea that God would take us to a place that we had full liberty and we could rule and we could do that is just terrifying if we're really honest at times. See, even in our prayers, I'm just going to give you a little secret and theologically you can go search this out and I'd be happy to have a conversation with you about it. But God has never done anything in history apart from man. And man has never done anything great apart from God. But God doesn't just randomly do something. He works with people. He waits for a prayer to interact in. He waits for someone to rise up and He steps into it. I had this, this idea really hit me when I broke my ribs. I was sharing with the group that I went through a, an experience I never want to have to go through again. But I really... Uh, had some neat experiences during this. So I'd broken my, got hit by a car and went over on my motorcycle and broke the back rib and the front one up here. And so I was, I was laying in bed and it was the second night and all this swelling is going on. And it was miserable. And so I, I was comfortable laying, but I started getting claustrophobic because I can't sleep on my back. I'm always a, a side sleeper. And the idea of rolling onto your side, let me just tell you what, that will wake you up. I, I could not get over onto my side. The pain was just extreme. But I was comfortable just laying there. And my wife got on F.F. Bosworth's Christ the Healer. And I wasn't trying to make God, oh, let's rush and cram the Word of God in and see if we can get some results. No, I wanted to spend time soaking in what I knew the truth was. And so I'm laying there and I'm just, all day I'm just listening to Christ the Healer just going over and over and over and over again. And all of a sudden, so this, this is going on, and I'm doing all right. I can't move off the bed. I can't lift up. I can't roll over, but I'm at peace. Because we already got our answer what we should do with the situation, but now it's just kind of walking this through, and I'm at peace, and I just remember about 11.30 that night hit, and I started getting claustrophobic. Like, it was, it was a very weird feeling, and I started kind of panicking, and I'm like, okay, calm down. I don't know if you've ever had that conversation with yourself. So I started taking breaths, okay, calm down. And so as I was laying there, I didn't hear a voice, like, calling me up. It was like, it was right here, and it was like, let's get up. It wasn't like, you need to get up. It was like, let's get up. And I knew God was speaking, and so I'm like, okay. And I sat up, and I got my feet to the edge of the bed, and I get to my wife, and she's like, no, of course, she's panicking. She thinks the world's about ready to fall apart, because I was kind of a little, I was so excited, I got up. I go, go get the chair. So she went, she went and got the recliner chair, and I got into it, and then we finally, the journey was began to be positive from that moment. And it was so powerful to me. It was the first time I saw God working with, like in a tangible, the with, he couldn't make me get up. He wasn't just going to magically just pop me up. He couldn't make me get up, and I couldn't do it without that because I had been trying all day, and the swelling was at a peak. Yet there I was. And so it begins showing me many different things, but I'm bringing that all to the point is God works with you. See, when He's speaking to you to be strong and of good courage, He's not sending you out on your own. He's saying, listen, if you step, I'll step. Let's go. Let's go, let's go. And so he spends time raising you up to deal with the problem. Yet it's supernatural. 
It's still miraculous. But he works with you. I remember when Moses stood before the Red Sea, it's, he tells the people, calm down and see the salvation of the Lord. And then he turns to God, what are we going to do? And he said, why are you talking to me? What's in your hand? Raise the staff over the water. So he did and it parted. It was all God. But without Moses working with it, it wasn't going to happen. There was this, this, this relational. He is relational. He's not distant. He's looking for someone that will invite him in and he works with exactly where you're at. With every tool. You have every tool you need to go to the next place. Everything you need to deal with the problem you're in is already right in front of you. And if it is not, He will bring other brothers and sisters around to help boost you and jumpstart you where you need it. But you have everything you need to go to the next place. You're not missing something. See, if you're missing something, you're still a victim. But if you have it, you just don't know how to use it, that's a whole different conversation. And the relationship begins. So Samson, so this is the thinking. This is what's going on. Our world does it today. The moment you show what God can do, well, yeah, but you know Job. You know Job. And I, you know, other people have prayed that and nothing happened. And we have every reason why it doesn't work. Or some leader finally rises in our midst that is doing something that's bringing the change, but we spend more time critiquing his flaws of not conforming to our thought process, and we tear him down. This is what happened to Samson. Whenever I hear a story about Samson, we go. It's it's usually about men learning how to deal with lust, because this is what it'll take you. It'll take you right to the pillars. It has nothing to do with that. So we go back to Samson. I may tangent a little bit, but we'll get we'll land the plane at the right time. Okay. So Samson is is growing up. And he's becoming strong, and the Spirit of God is with him. And I think it's just really amazing how God is developing Samson within the culture of being a deliverer. Samson was confident of who he was. How many times do you think his mom told him the story of what happened? Knowing most moms, probably it was the evening bedtime story. And the morning cup of coffee story. Remember who you are, Samson. Don't you remember what happened to me? And cared for and loved and secured and his family loved him. But now he had to go figure out how to live as a deliverer in a land of slaves. That chose to be slaves. That don't want out of their slavery. They just want relief. They want medication, but they don't want the healing. It was the spiritual pharmaceutical industry was much more prominent at that point than the actual answer to what they needed. So, it goes on. And so now Samson's on a journey. He's growing. He's being strong. And it says the Spirit of the Lord began to move upon him between Zor and Eshtal in these two cities. And in chapter 14, verse 1, Samson went down to Timnah, and he saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. So he went up and told his father and mother, saying, I have seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore, go get her for me as a wife. See, this is the problem with men. 
They go to the wrong places to find the right women. Or go to the, yes, go to the wrong places to find the wrong women. But that is not what's happening here. It says, then his father and mother said to him, is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all the people that you must go get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistine? And Samson said to his father, get her for she pleases me well. This is radical. In that culture, you didn't go and get a wife out of love. You didn't go and get a wife because you desired her. You got a wife to arrange something to make alliance with the families and the areas for the sake of survival of the community. This didn't even get introduced till years later, but God was saying how He wanted it. He was operating in a different way of thinking that was going against the cultural norm. Your parents arranged a person. You didn't go choose a person. Yet Samson's going to go choose somebody. So he sends his father to make the arrangements. And there was no alliance to be made because they couldn't align with the Philistines. But yet he's doing something. He's operating differently. But his father and mother did not know. Listen to this. Judges 14.4 His mother and father did not know that it was of the Lord. Do you see how a lot of times we will hear people tell stories and we sit and listen to something being said and we form opinions about God and His way of doing things and His way of acting because we heard it said, but we never went back to the place it originated from and let us become part with it. My job isn't to tell you what to think about a story or how to think about an idea. My job is to expose you to a different picture that it causes you to want to go know the Father differently. I want you to walk away with your own relationship. I want you to walk away with being able to take Scriptures. I just want to expose something to strip away the thinking that we have had. And we do this to many characters. How do you think Jesus knew how to operate His earth walk? How do you think he knew how to step into certain areas? How did he know when he can go and heal on the sick because day, and eat on the Sabbath day because David did it? How did he know to do that? Because all the Scriptures were written about him. So all of this Old Testament was a reflection of who Jesus actually was. It was mosaic pictures that came together in the life of Jesus. And you can see Jesus in all these characters. Didn't Jesus go to the Gentile? Help the centurion? Didn't He go to a people that weren't His own? Because His own received Him not. But to many as who would receive Him, to them He gave the power to become the sons of God. Samson's just operating in the way our Father operates. If His own won't receive Him, He'll just go. But He didn't know that the Father was... that that the Lord was working in him because he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. For at that time, the Philistines had dominion over Israel. God so loved his people that he needed to do something to bring irritation to the religious mind and the slave mind as well as the enemy. You see, what we're going to start seeing is the passion of our God. You see, God is so passionately in love with His people that you don't want to be the enemy on the wrath side of that. Because there is a wrath if there's love. But you're not the object of His wrath. The enemy is the object of His wrath. 
And Samson could not begin delivering people until a godly, loving passion would birth on the inside of him. Because it's what causes you to go beyond rejection. It's what causes you to go beyond what is not normal. It's what causes you to step in and sacrifice. So he's learning to go from becoming the eater to becoming the bread. To go from being the consumer to becoming the producer. He's changing. So Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came to the vineyards of Timnah. Now to his surprise, a young lion came out roaring against him. That would surprise me. I mean, I, I genuinely probably would be a little caught off guard if that happened. I'm just kidding. I'd really be... <laughs> what am I going to do? So this lion jumps at him. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. And he tore the lion apart. As one would have torn apart a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand. See, some of you are in places that you're facing things, and you say, I don't even have anything in my hand. But when the Spirit of God of who you are comes in, even within what you don't have is enough to solve the problem that takes you to another place. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily, but he did not tell his father or mother what he had done. Because Nazarites can't touch the dead. Isn't this interesting? There's this vow, and his whole life is a violation of the vow. But see, he never sinned because he didn't make the vow. Someone else made a vow over him. The same way Jesus took all of our sins because of the name put on him, we share the benefit, but when the enemy comes to accuse you, he really can't accuse you because he has to accuse Jesus, but Jesus already paid it. It was his vow, not yours. I am the beneficiary, beneficiary of a covenant that Jesus made with his Father. I am not the covenant holder of that relationship. I'm the beneficiary. So then it goes on that he went down and talked with the woman, and she pleased Sam, Samson well. This is, a, this is amazing, the courting idea. They did not do this. A lot of times the son and the daughter, they wouldn't even ever meet before. And it's like, here you go. Here's your, your spouse. Whoopee. That's a marriage made in heaven, huh? We can't even fathom that. But in order to understand the picture and the character, we have got to step into the lens of the people living in that culture. Because it starts making sense so we don't try to put our cultural norms on the behaviors of people that we see from old and try to hold them to our standard when they had something different. It's why we miss things. If we would go stand in the presence and the decisions that some of the great men of old that we spend more time critiquing and tearing down of their flaws, well, they did this, they believed this, they did this. You didn't live when they lived. You didn't stand when they stand. They were cutting edge. Yeah, they had baggage that came with them. But that's what they knew. That's a side note. I don't know. Go on. But he did not tell his father and mother. Then he went down. She pleased him well. In verse 8, And sometime when he returned to her, he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. 
He turned on purpose to go see what he killed. He's pondering this thing. He didn't know what he was. He didn't know how strong he was. He didn't know what his abilities were till that happened. And boy, did that ever cause an awakening. And he didn't shrink back from it. He launched into it. Isn't that interesting? When you're born into an idea of being a deliverer, when the problem comes, you face it and step into it. When we come from an idea of being a victim, we usually shrink back and wait. Someone help me. Now let me just tell you, God is so awesomely merciful and loving towards us. He works wherever you're at. If you've been shrinking back, He'll still find a way to help you. I'm just saying there's a place that He wants to raise you to. That you start being that person that will begin affecting others. Because He wants to make you the bread, not the eater. He wants to make you the supply, not always having to be supplied. So then, Samson comes back. He finds this swarm of bees and honey were in the carcass of the lion. I don't know what he was thinking, though, to reach into this dead carcass and grab the honey with the bees around. But apparently the honey was pretty sweet. Isn't it interesting? Something's changing in him. He's learning the thing that he wants is not going to be hindered by the thing that's sitting in front of him. Now that can be good and that can be bad, but remember the Spirit of God is doing something in him. So he reaches and grabs the honey and he brings it back to his mom. And she didn't tell him where she got it. He got it. He didn't tell her where she got it. He didn't tell her where he got it. But he brought back this honey. And then he comes to that without riddle. And he poses it. They go down and they have this marriage, this marriage ceremony and these Philistines bring 30 companions. I don't know whose companions they were because it doesn't sound like they're very closely friendship, close friendship with Samson. And they bring these 30 men are there. So he poses a riddle to them. Out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. So these Philistines go to the bridesmaid or the, the bride and said, Tell us what this riddle means. Did you bring us down here to mock us? If you don't tell us, we will burn your family and your house and everything. So for seven days, she badgered him. It's almost like wives when your husband hasn't taken out the trash or fixed the closet yet. It's that reminder. So this went on for seven days, and then she was crying and weeping. Why won't you tell me your secret? Why won't you tell me your secret? He goes, I haven't even told my parents. Now isn't it interesting what love does? Because when a husband loves a wife, they begin communicating things that are secrets of their heart. That's not normal in this culture. But Samson loves this woman. So he tells her. And guess what happens? They come and tell him what the riddle is. Now, this next phrase, and he says, well, had you not plowed with my heifer, you wouldn't have known this. I, guys, I'm just going to tell you something. If your wife comes to you and says, how do I look at my dress and say, you know what, my, you're my sweet heifer. I don't think it's going to go over very well. Just, you don't have to quote everything from the Bible. Put some things into context and think through this. That was the culture of the day. Implements of husbandry. 
I'm the husband, these are my implements for me to do my job. It was culturally the norm, but Samson was breaking the norm slowly. He was loving. She wasn't just a tool to him. She was loving, but to the context of the environment, that's where that's coming from. And I find it something very fascinating with this is he gets angry. He says, Then the Spirit of the Lord, and it, well, let me just, I'm going to quote that to you. If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would have not solved my riddle. And I think it's interesting that the place that we are the most vulnerable in life is the place that we love. And Satan doesn't usually come at a direct attack on you. He usually comes and hits something that you love that comes at you. And that's where the spear happens. Isn't that happened? Why Satan chose Eve versus Adam to go after directly first? Because the thing he loved would now be the one that he has to deal with. Satan hates you. He hates every aspect of you. And he will find every entrance to find a way to destroy you. And let me tell you why he wants to destroy you. Because he's afraid of you. Exodus 1, 8-11, And now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. They were more and mightier than the nation of Egypt. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply and this happen, that in the event of war, they will join our enemies and fight against us and so go up out of this land. Therefore set taskmasters over them to afflict them with burdens. Why do you think the enemy wants to oppress you? Why do you think the enemy is going after your life? Why do you think the enemy is going after your loved ones? Why do you think the enemy? Because he's afraid of you. Because the moment you discover what you really are, he loses ground. This goes on through all of Scripture. We could see this in Joshua 1.9. And she, Rahab the harlot said, I know the Lord has given you the land that, that the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land were faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and when you did, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of Jordan, of whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our heart melted. Neither did any more any courage remain in us because of you. For the Lord your God, He is the God of heaven and above earth. The children of Israel were terrified of who they were, yet the world around them was terrified of what they would become. The enemy's terrified of what you'll become. In the last movie, Shazam, there's this scene where, I forgot the, guy, the, the evil nemesis name, he's in the boardroom with his father and brother and he kills both of them and all the seven deadly sins are with them and he said, I am the strongest. And he said, no, there's one more powerful than you. But destroy him before he figures out how to use it. I think that has a great imagery of the body of Christ. The enemy has done everything to hold them back and do things and hit little Achilles heels and just do little pokes and prods in our life. And then we become inferior. We feel insecure. We feel frustrated with what's going on. We wonder where God is in all of this. And then we don't rise. 
But if you listen to the voice, God's telling you, get up. Just get up. When Joshua came and he lost the first battle because they had stolen goods from, the, the, from, Bab, from Jericho, and God, Joseph, or Joshua fell on his face before God. He says, what are we going to do? The people are going to turn from us now. This is a mess. And God tells them, get up. Turn around and go deal with it. In other words, well, he probably wasn't unloving like that, but I'm being my... Get up. Quit laying down. You're the man of God. You can deal with this, and I'm with you. I will be with you wherever you go. Go deal with this. So verse 19, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, and he went down to Ashkelon and killed 30 of their men. He went down to the marketplace of where he would purchase the goods to give back, and he spoiled them. He spoiled them for their wrongness of what they did. We don't look at it that way. Something happens to us when Jesus heard that John the Baptist was beheaded. That was a stab. That went right through the heart of Jesus, his cousin, a man that he loved. Jesus quieted himself. And you know what was his next action? He went and started healing people. He took vengeance on the enemy for what he had done. There's this act of this, this righteousness that should rise when things are going wrong and it doesn't target people. People aren't our problem. It's what's behind the people and the thinking. That's our problem. We take it in prayer and we do actions that flow with the Spirit of God and strategies that step us into place that seem, this doesn't seem normal, but rather than being down on our face, we're standing up, moving forward, and all of a sudden, a light starts shining and things start changing and people start becoming influenced. We go from being the eater, the consumer, to the producer. Then we start becoming strong in what we are. And the next thing are, there's a sweetness that comes that people get to benefit from. Samson goes back to his wife. And Samson's wife was given to his companion for he had been his best man. His best friend took his wife. How much betrayal can you go through in a day? And so he went back and he was angry and he went, went home and then he went back and he went to go get his wife because he didn't know this had taken place. And his father says, I'm, I was sure you would ang were angry at her, but you can have her, the younger daughter. Take her. He didn't want the younger daughter. He wanted the one he loved. He was angry at the enemy. You see, it's interesting in Samson's life, he never was angry at those that betrayed him. He was angry at the enemy for what they were doing. What does the enemy think of you? Mark 1.24, Jesus is getting ready to cast out a demon. They say to, say to him, what do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know you're the Holy One of God. Matthew 8.29, behold, they cried out, 
What have we to do with you, O Son of God? Have you come down here to torment us before his time? So that was Jesus. Then he transfers it over to his disciples. Luke 10, 17. The 70 returned with joy, saying, The Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, don't rejoice in this, but rather rejoice because your name or who you are is written in heaven. What you rejoice in is your value of your identity as an individual of who you are to Jesus Christ, and that is written in heaven. That's what we rejoice in. Oh, by the way, you've been given the authority. Later on in Acts 19.15, the seven sons of Sceva decide to go and try to cast out demons the way Paul did. And the evil report, an evil spirit answered them and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? And they ravished these guys. And the fear of God fell because they knew the name of Jesus and the power of it. The name of Jesus would get rid of them. Any other name would cause a real problem. And I say that because who are you in the kingdom of heaven? How are you known? But there's a thinking that has to change. And when I ponder that riddle more, I was thinking about our transformation life. A child starts out of being a consumer. They can't do anything for themselves. They need someone to constantly take care of them. In a way, a, a, a small child's a victim. They're, they're subject to the supply of someone else. But then they grow and they can start learning new skills and then they start helping becoming a source of life and a benefit. But then they start building a confidence in the inside and a security and a, 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 that comes from knowing who you are and who you're of and, and who has made you and what you're what God thinks of you, and, and, and those words come, and all of a sudden, strength starts coming. And when you're strong, you're confident. There's a boldness. There's a bravery. There's a, a place of risk. And it says in, in Psalms 1-1, or Psalms 1, to meditate on the word day and night, and you will be like a tree that has been planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth fruit in season. Your leaf will not wither, and whatever you do shall prosper. See, the tree is strong. And when something's strong, there's also a fruit. And I want you to catch this real quick. The word sweet is also used in Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 3. As the apple tree among the trees of the wood, so is my beloved among the sons. I sat down under his shadow with great delight, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. That word sweet is the Hebrew word motok. And it references a sacrifice. A loving sacrifice. You see, love is a risk. You literally sacrifice your life, freedom, self-will, your possessions for the sake of another. You make yourself vulnerable by giving someone your heart 
who then has the power to break it. See, the true power of strength that Jesus showed was His willingness to give us His heart that many of us have broken. Yet He freely gives it again and again and again, sacrificially. And we see this in the life of Samson. And Jesus saw in the life of Samson what happens when a strong, passionate man loves. It wasn't part of culture. It wasn't normal to do this. He was breaking norms. And when he stood before the pillars, blinded because he shared a secret with Delilah, the one she, she was not a prostitute. He loved her. But he remembered what had happened to the first woman he loved. She's badgering because she's in danger. Oh, yes, you could say, but she was getting pieces of silver. If she said no, what do you think would happen to her? And he shares the secret knowing it's going to cost him everything. But he loved her. And he's blinded. And they shaved his head and his power left. And the next verse, he's sitting in the stockades, pushing a block to a grinding mill, and it says his hair began to grow. Let me ask you a question. I know this as I get older because hair grows in all sorts of places on my head, but where I actually want it to. It grows always. It's always growing. And as he pushes around and they bring him before the pillars, he prays a very interesting prayer. He didn't repent of anything because he had not sinned. He said, Father, remember me. He said, Lord, remember me. Remember me. And give me vengeance on my enemies for blinding my eyes. Because this was the first time he truly saw the enemy that he was actually facing. He judged Israel for 20 years. And he loved again. And it cost him his sight. And as he's standing by the pillars, he said, let me die with them and take them. And in his death, he did more than in his life. And we look at that going, what is this? It's love. Because Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he's anointed me to open the eyes of the blind, to heal the brokenhearted, to do all these things, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. He is in so much love with us that He was bringing vengeance on the enemy for what He had done to us. And He died. And more was done in His death than the 30 years of His life, but yet He rose again. Samson does not. But the picture was the next step of what Jesus would bring about. And here's what's important with that. The enemy has done everything to blind the eyes because it took this passion of love for Samson to be awakened to who the enemy actually was because he was so confident the Philistines never did anything to him. For 20 years, they never bothered him. He judged Israel for 20 years. But he hadn't delivered them yet. He only brought relief 
But all of a sudden, when he changed in his heart and his strength, and he discovered exactly who he was, he now became sweet. And he offered something. And here's what happened when those pillars went down. It broke the back of the religious system of the Philistines. The power of the Philistines was broken, and it was the only way for the kingdom of David to begin taking over Jerusalem in that area and for the kingdom of Israel to become a kingdom. Had that temple not come down, that, that time of worship and those people, this would have never taken place. Sweetness. What he saw when the lion came out was a mirror. And he saw himself. And Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he gives us these, I'm going to give you this last verse. says 2 Peter 2.4 grace and peace grace your elevated position of favor and who you are and how he sees you and how the heaven sees you grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God the more we relate and interact and get to know the Father we get to know Jesus we get to know the Holy Spirit we get to know his voice we know that we begin to grow and it says his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which you've been given exceeding great and precious promises, sweetness, that by, through these you may be partakers of His divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust or temporal pleasure. Temporal solution. That is, escape the corruption that comes from just looking for relief, but not looking for deliverance. That is sweetness. But again, the cycle begins. If a promise of who you are is just a Twitter post, or a news article, or just some pages, or something somebody else believes, it's not part of you. But when you consume honey, or you consume food, it digests and it becomes part and intertwined into your DNA and who you are and you become one with it and you chew on it long enough, it becomes who you are. And you go from being the consumer to the producer to the strength to the fruit that other people get to eat off of. It's an amazing cycle of transformation. And I leave all that with you today. That's a lot. It's kind of a mouthful. And there's so much more in that. But my challenge to you is this. I'm going to ask you to change your lens of every story that you've ever read and let the Spirit of God bring it in as something to chew on that you can partake of. I think I've spent so much time studying the life of Samson, I can tell you what kind of deodorant he didn't wear. You just see him. You can almost feel the wind. You can, you can become a part of it. It just becomes part of you. This is what meditation actually is. And if we would go back and relook, you could see the mosaic and the pictures of who you actually are. Little pieces of the DNA. It says in Hebrews that these men of old, these men of faith that were honored by God, that God 
deemed as valuable and heroes of faith were not complete without you. You are the linchpin to everything they put before. So if we could absorb in the grace of God what they are, not in the legalistic and flaws, and this person did that, this person did this. We did a quick little test. We had a guy get do a challenge that he just was really into and he started running and the next thing you know in five weeks he had run 50k and he had never run before and he was doing all this stuff and I said what was the effects he goes well, I quit smoking I go why'd you quit smoking because it was hindering me running you see when life starts flowing in you the things that you don't want have a natural tendency to get dropped off but if you're trying to fix your life and get everything in order and make sure it looks like this and looks like this, you're never going to experience what the life is. Let it work together. A little side note. Why don't we stand on our feet? I want you to see what you really are. I wish I could really bring a mirror for you to see how the Father views you. I wish you could see what the cross did and His blood and his, the cost and the, the, the taking all the things that were written against you and how He washed them away and He took it on Himself so you wouldn't have to take it. And how much He longs for you just to receive what He's actually done and partake of that sweetness. I think sometimes we've looked at things like we won't even reach in and grab the honey because we have all this opinion of where the honey is at. But He wants you to start reaching in of, God, is this really what You said about me? But what about my situations? Son and daughter, let me speak to who You are. That who You are to the situation changes and the situation will have a whole different look. I wish you could see that. Our guys are seeing it. And God wants that for you.